This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we have been looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. And Ben, that flow has now led us to Resurrection Sunday. We're week 48 in our journey. We began this with Christmas, and here we're ending it almost with Easter. You know, the the two most famous figures of that are Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Uh, that's uh, that's not the way we've rolled in our family, actually. We've, we've not really done those things that much. But some we still give gifts. We have those traditions, and we give Easter baskets. And our kids, even as adults, young adults, wanted us to hide the Easter baskets for them. And they, could you do that, you know, and, and hide the Easter baskets? So we have some, those are big deals in our culture, even for people who aren't really followers of Jesus. They love some Christmas and love some Easter, and they're, they're great days of celebration. And I guess it shows the significance of those days, especially for maybe our Western culture, our, our North American culture as well, that even as maybe Christianity is declining, I don't know that those traditions are, the giving of gifts and the giving of Easter baskets. I'm not sure those are on the downslide in, in any kind of way, because this these events have had a, an impact on the world, and especially the world that ha- has largely been Christian in its foundation or it's it's a basis. They're they're big deals, aren't they? Those those big old holidays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even growing up, you know, obviously outside of the church, at least in my early grade school years and preschool years, you know, we went to we went to a midnight mass every year. Went to Easter Sunday. Actually, we'd go to Easter Sunday service on Saturday night, Saturday night mass, so we could make it to, or early morning, like a sunrise service, so we could make it to the Hyatt on the uh, Mississippi River uh, for brunch. Um, every year, went there for brunch as a kid, then would head over to uh, my aunt's house uh, for the uh, festive um, Easter egg hunt with all of my cousins. But one of my favorite memories of the the Easter season was uh when Savannah was probably four or five she was with uh, uh she was with a, a a woman who uh we went to church with who has been like a grandma to the kids still still very much a part of their life and uh Savannah was four or five they were admired together and some well-meaning woman came up to Savannah you know little four-year-old Savannah in her pink tails and said Sweetie, uh, Savannah again. Savannah's out with like Grandma at Meyer, and this woman comes up and she's like, "Sweetie, are you looking forward to the Easter Bunny?" And Savannah, um, this being relayed to me by her her Grandma Gigi, uh, Savannah looks up at the woman and says, "No, but I'm ready for Jesus." <laughs> Go and as a four year old girl with pink tails, you can get away with that, but. Way, way to go, Savannah! That's pretty amazing. Yeah, we we have these traditions. They're fun. They're 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 good things that we can do. Sometimes I do think they overwhelm the real meaning that's behind it. The all the Christmas hoopla overwhelms the actual story of God becoming human, and the, all the 
Easter tradition things for food and festivities and Easter candy and all those things can sometimes overshadow the actual story of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. So let's not overwhelm that today. Let's let's dive right into the story of the resurrection and see what the Bible says about it. I'm going to largely go from John today, though feel free to pop back into one of the other narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Again, these all of these things are in all four Gospels. Much of his life was not in all four, but when you get to this part of the story, it's covered in all four of them from different perspectives. So I want to pick up at John chapter 20, right at the beginning. Early on the first day of the week. So we already know that it was the first day of the week for them was what we call Sunday. And he he died on a Friday. The Friday was before sundown when he died. So it was part of the their cycle from sundown to sundown was a day. So it was what we might call Thursday night extended. I don't know how that exactly worked. So this was the third day of his of his death. And which is why we now have worship on Sunday as opposed to our Jewish friends who still do on Saturday. And we, we do it on Sunday because early on that first day of the week on Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Let's just stop there for a minute. Who's Mary Magdalene? Re- recall that for us just a little bit from our past. And what's the, what's the significance you think that um, she's, she's there? She's, she's the first person at the tomb find, finding these things out. Yeah, she's someone who had tasted uh, of, of Christ's gracious love um, as someone um, who was lost in sin and who has come to Jesus and, and become one of his closest followers. And she and, and a group of women are the first that that head to the tomb. It's actually one of the things that they're the first they give testimony to uh, the risen Christ actually is one of those things that gives weight to the historicity of the narrative itself. Um, because women weren't, uh, known to, um, in the first century, their, their witness, their testimony wouldn't have counted, uh, for anything. And yet here, in fact, it was one of the things actually used against, uh, the, the Christian message, uh, in the early centuries was that it was a, it was a, a group of women that were the first to give testimony to the risen Christ. Um, so yeah, I see the historicity of the narrative here. I see the depth of, of Mary Magdalene's love as someone who had tasted of the grace and mercy uh, of Christ as someone who was ultimately, you know, the unwashed sinner who Jesus embraced, um, and to see that she is the first at the tomb, uh, yeah, it's a testimony to her her just depth of love for, for Jesus. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Mark tells us that she was accompanied by uh, another Mary, Mary the mother of James and Salome. And so there were there was a little group of women who, who went there, and it is, I think, a significant thing that though Jesus chose 12 men, and men have remained in leadership in many ways through the centuries, that women weren't pushed down and back and out of the scene in this at all. They were first in the story yep. and first to share the story. And I, 
I think that's an amazing thing. So Mary Magdalene, it says, and John went to the tomb. We know there were others with her and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse two, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John, who's the writer of this. He calls himself the one that Jesus loved. So Peter and John get the news, and she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. She still does not know it's a resurrection at this moment in time. She's still thinking that somebody robbed the body. They've taken it. These soldiers that were put there were all conked out. <laughs> they, they, um, the stone was rolled away by an angel. We see in the in the story, and, and it was it had to be a trying time. And even though Jesus had spoken a number of times that he would be raised on the third day, when his body is not there, the first inclination is, well, he's not raised. They've taken his body. Why is it so hard for us to believe in the miraculous when it comes to God himself? Yeah, you'd think that the one who created all things could, uh, in essence, um, defy what some people call the natural order. I read an article the other day by uh, somebody who is a preacher, which, you know, this blows my mind, but basically his argument was that, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 couldn't have happened because Jesus would not, uh, you know, God would not deny the natural order that he had created or set up or defied it. And so... The feeding of the 5,000 couldn't have actually happened. Uh, yeah, there's just like this general tendency, I mean, to, uh, again, to deny the miraculous, to deny that certain things have occurred. Um, yeah, it's mind-blowing. I don't it, know. It really, it really is an amazing thing. So the, she goes back and tells these guys, and in the next several verses, we'll let you read that on your own, verses 3 to 10, when... Peter and John take off and they go running there and Jesus' body is not there. And it does say in verse nine, they had no clue what was going on. They just did not understand it, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they don't get it either and they leave. And now Mary is there. So we're again in John chapter 20, verse 11. And here's Mary after Peter and John go home. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Hmm. That's really interesting to me that she'd spent all this time with him. She's looking at him and the evidence is before her eyes and she still doesn't realize it's him. I, you know, I wonder like in his resurrected state, did he look a little bit different? Was, was he, was he glowing? Yeah. Know, was there something <laughs> going on or was it like, it was just, too hard to believe the evidence because she'd convinced herself that no one thought what you just said, no, that God can't do the miraculous. And like, like she just couldn't see what she could see. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's somewhat both. And I also think that the last time she saw Jesus, he was so horribly disfigured yeah. because he had been beaten 
uh, so horrifically pr- prior to uh, the cross itself. I mean, we can't even begin to comprehend how disfigured uh, his body was at that point. And so to see him resurrected just three days later after experiencing the, 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 the terror of that moment, I'm sure that that played on it a little bit outside of the fact that, again, you know, the dead did not raise or, or yeah, the dead did not uh, weren't raised back to life. Um, it's, it's always kind of curious because people have this, this, uh, instinctual belief in the 21st century that the people in the first century had this, uh, you know, much, were much more, e- or much easier accepting of the, uh, of the supernatural, which is mm-hmm. a complete falsehood. I mean, they understood mm-hmm. just as well as we do dead people don't come back to life. And so, yeah, I'm sure Mary is in some ways clouded by all those things. In fact, she not only doesn't recognize him as Jesus. She thinks that he's been, uh, cha- his job description has been changed to a gardener. It says in, in verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking Jesus was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. M- Mary must have been pretty, pretty tough. She could throw a body over her shoulder. I'm not sure what she's thinking there. And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her one word, Mary. I don't know what it is about the name or your name being spoken, but when he said that word, she knew who he was. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So she goes back with this incredible news that she's actually physically seen the and and held because he said don't hold on to me and and touch the resurrected Jesus. So that ought to do it, right? Mm, not so fast. Verse nineteen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. I'm just going to stop there for a minute. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's raised from the dead and he can do all things. I'm just guessing you wouldn't be hiding behind the locked doors because you're afraid the same Jewish leaders who killed Jesus are going to come and kill you. I don't know that for a fact, but they were afraid, and they were living in fear. They weren't living in the hope of the resurrection, not even to this point. I think they were still denying what Mary had told them, and living with the evidence that they had seen Jesus dead on the cross, brutally dead on the cross, buried in a tomb. They knew that his body had been removed. They didn't think it was by God. They thought it was by grave robbers of some sort. And they were just flat out afraid. So they were there. And it goes on to say in verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. Some of the other gospels say he had to do that because they doubted it was him. You know, doubting Thomas gets a bad rap. How about doubting everybody? None of them believed it. He showed them his hands and his side, the places where they had nails driven in and spears poked in and all kinds of stuff. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wow. So a couple things I want to unpack a little bit in this. and It's that Jesus spoke the word to them twice and said, Peace be with you. Why do you think that was such an important message for them to hear that he spoke it twice? His, his first two sets of words to them were exactly the same. Peace be with you. Again, in verse 21, peace be with you. Why was that such an important thing for them to hear when he just raised from the dead? One aspect of that, I believe, is that all these guys had abandoned him uh, at, at his arrest, at his crucifixion. Um, you know, we do, we do see John, in fairness, we see John uh, before the cross, but at the same time, they have all at some point run away from him. They're in hiding right now. And Jesus goes and declares peace to them. And I'm reminded of uh, the narrative in Genesis when, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And they are terrified because they have betrayed Joseph years earlier. And they are terrified that Joseph is going to uh, you know, use his authority uh, ultimately to, to, to throw them in jail or, or even worse. And so as Jesus uh, comes to them, as Jesus appears to them, his first words to them are, peace uh, be with you. I think ultimately reassuring them of their standing before, before him. I think there's also a, a, a deeper depth uh, to those words, the, the nature of, of peace that is reaped by uh, Jesus' death and resurrection between us and God, between us uh, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so I think all of that's in play there, but in the initial moment, these guys seeing Jesus, he's revealing to them his, his hands, he, you know, the, 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 where the spear entered his side. And I think just giving them reassurance that, Hey, Hey guys, we're good. Yeah. And he had appeared in this room where the doors were locked. So he's, he, it's got to freak them out. I mean, this is, before the resurrection, he was still able to walk on top of water and do all kinds of miraculous things. And here in his resurrected state, he's able to enter into a locked building. It's pretty incredible, really. And they needed that piece. And they would need it for what he said after that, which was, I'm sending you, which was the first hint of the Great Commission. And I'm sending you with a message of forgiveness to the world, forgiveness for sins. Let's be clear what it is. There is sin in the world. It is real, and we need forgiveness for that. And I'm sending you, and you're going to need a, you're going to need a good dose of peace with you as you go into that world, as you've des- described. So, Thomas wasn't there. 
I don't know what he what he was doing out looking for a job or something. I don't know what he he was he was not with the group that day. But in verse twenty four, he shows up a week later. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But Thomas said to them, "Unless I see the nail marks." and his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So the disciples didn't believe Mary, and Thomas is not believing his buddies, the disciples. Like Nobody's believing anybody unless they see it. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, not much has changed. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Guess what? Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet have believed. Pretty powerful there. For Jesus to begin to speak to us that kind of a message of hope. And here here I am, 2,000 years on this side of it, and I believe out of faith. I mean, the resurrected Jesus has not shown up to me in a bodily form where I can put my hands in the wounds and have the evidence in front of me. There is huge evidence when you study Scripture. It is really undeniable. But these guys are the ones who passed that message on, and they saw it with their own eyes and even their own hands. They saw the evidence and that it was true and that it's significant for the world today. You know, last time we've, we've talked about, on our last podcast, we talked about the significance of the crucifixion for the world today. Um, I'd like you to, to take us through what is the significance of the resurrection for the, for the believer, the follower of Christ today, why is this also so critically important, a foundational truth for our faith today? Yeah, the Apostle Paul said that absent the, the physical resurrection of Christ, our, our faith is in vain. His preaching is in vain. And so it's the, the resurrection that gives us the assurance that Jesus has truly, in, in essence, done the time uh, for our crimes. He has been raised to life, victorious over sin and death. And death, physical death, um, is a a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality that sin leads to death. And so by Jesus' resurrection from the grave, we have this assurance of his his victory over over sin um, itself and that it is truly finished. He's, again, um, done the time uh, for our crime. Um, and then we see, you know, we talk about the, the, the historical record here 
it's it's worth noting, and I've got a special affection uh, for Thomas. The idea that two thousand years later, like this is what he is most intimately known for. There is an a, a lot of uh, actual historical evidence that points to Thomas uh, going to uh, India and ultimately suffering a martyr's death in Chennai, uh, India. And uh, several years ago, in 2019, um, I was in Chennai and got to visit the cave where Thomas uh, possibly um, possibly uh, hung out and hid uh, from those who were seeking uh, his life. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, in this moment, he was asking the question that probably all of us would have asked. In, indeed, we see everybody in the story. Mary didn't believe it, thought he was a gardener. The disciples didn't believe it was him. They had to be shown. And Thomas just it was in the line of that. And I imagine that I would have been the same way. I, I know I would have. Because now it's easy to, to look back and say, why didn't they just have faith? But in real time, when you've lived through the crucifixion, that's a... That's a pretty brutal thing to see, and and yet Jesus had patience with them, continued to offer himself to them, and speak the word of peace to them, and the and the word of hope to them, and give them more than they ever ever could have needed. We we know this that Jesus continues to appear to his disciples and to other people, and in our. In our next podcast, we're going to look at some more of that, some more of his appearances and how he showed himself to the world around him and gave evidence that he was indeed raised from the dead. So we'll, we'll look at that next time, some more of the, the resurrection appearances of Jesus to the world. Folks, if you want to, to jump in deeper as you study this, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. I hope that as you embrace this concept of the resurrection of Christ, really, now we're, we're separated from Easter as a, as a celebration. Just think deeply about the resurrection. Until then, may God bless you.